Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Uh, Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hey, Joshua. What's going on? Oh, my gosh. Are you, uh, have you, do you feel rested from Georgia yet? Sort of. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I saw your Bjork, (laughs) like, thing, and I got so freaked out. Um, (laughs) Uh, um, Dear listener, he's talking about the uh, cover of her last album, Utopia, which is, um, it is a bizarre uh, photograph, uh, so to so, so to speak. I think the drag queen, um, is she hungry? Did the makeup design for that? Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a little strange. It's also my phone. Uh, background. I know. I I <laughs> caught that when we were in Georgia too. I was like, what the fuck is on? I'm like, oh, it's Bjerk. It's Bjerk, like jerk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, uh. I had some really great sleep this week. Oh, good, good. I think it's because it's purely exhaustion. Like, just <laughs> catching up on yeah. on the lack of sleep that we got while we were there. Yeah, it was a, it's, it was a hectic time while we were there and then coming back, like, you know, because with, like, class and all, it's, like, taking, you know, a weekend off from, like, doing any, like, real classwork. It's, like, I've just been, like... I feel like I've been rushing all week. So, but I did take a few naps, so I definitely feel caught up, but it was well worth it. It was such a blast. Yeah, we got when we got back to my place or when I got back to my place, I literally had breakfast. I sat upright for 30 minutes and then I fell asleep and I what I usually say like, you know, what was started out as a nap turned into a sleep. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. I got home and I was like you know, putting stuff away, chatting with uh, Jeffrey, you just kind of you know, catching up and, you know, like, I'll answer all questions later. Like, I just, I want to have, like, a little snack and I'm just going to go lay down for a few minutes because I did have hope of, of making our friend's birthday party. I was like, I'm going to try to power through and, like, go, but I do, I just need a few minutes, like, to, you know, just rest my eyes. And then I woke up six hours later <laughs> or five hours later, something like that. I crashed, like, hard. So, I mean, totally missed the party because it was like a day, you know, it was an afternoon thing. I, 
I know. And we, and we were honest. We said that, you know, it was going to be a day for us, but yeah, no, I mean, it's not, we weren't expected to be there, but I, I kind of wanted to surprise them. Yeah. It would have been nice. Yeah. I, yeah, it was just, it was so much fun, but like, wow, have I been out of practice being social? Yeah. It it takes a lot and it's a lot of energy. So, you know, just seeing people talking, talking about people and their work and their films. It was super fun. And like, again, yeah, not at all. Like every part of it was worth the journey and worth doing, but it was just, yeah, it was, it was a lot. You feel this time in, in the pandemic has been, uh, it was kind of taking that away from you a little bit. I mean, like I, I, I've, constantly been assessing whether or not I'm still, I still identify as an extrovert. Oh, (laughs) because like, and I think to some extent it's true because the way I kind of, the way I, um, interpret extrovert, introvert, ambivert, all that bullshit is like, if you're an extrovert, you recharge your batteries, you refill your cup with people in community with people and then introverts are the opposite they recharge their batteries like in solitude Mm. um and so for me it's like i am an extrovert in the sense that like i there's nothing more relaxing to me than like going to like sitting here with you yeah talking chatting chatting and all that stuff but it does take a certain amount of effort to go and do that like be in a place and do that yeah yeah Um, I definitely thrive on it. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was there. Yeah, there was a lot. Of, I mean, I didn't get to talk to like half the people I wanted to. So I'm hoping just because Vanessa is really awesome that as we kind of, as we start reaching out to the filmmakers that we want to uh, have on the show uh, and, and, and chat with, uh, I'm hoping I will, you know, <laughs> find those people that I, that I didn't get to get to have like a moment with, you know, they'll make their way to fright school. Yes. I'm hoping so. If you're listening, we want you. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Speaking of, of dear listeners, uh, Shane was so awesome. Our friend friend now that we met now, dear friend, uh, in uh, Georgia who, uh, has been a long time listener and supporter of the show. He was so sweet, so nice. So thank you again, Shane, for all of your hospitality and hanging out with us. And uh, apologies again for kind of abandoning you at the after party because I had to go chat with people and then try to drum up some fright school stuff. Oh, don't and even. I Joe mean. went to sleep instead of helping me with that. Again, so. a nap <laughs> turned into, the, I'm infamous for, uh, Jimmykins knows this, like I'm infamous for like, I'm going to go take a nap and the nap literally turns into a sleep. I'm just so happy though, that I had the foresight of setting my alarm for when we needed to be up to go to the airport before, like when I figured out what our departure time was going to be from the hotel, because if it was not for that, (laughs) I probably would have missed the the transport because I was was dead ass asleep. Yeah. No, I would have come and kicked on your door if I hadn't heard from you. I mean, hopefully it would have woken you up. Otherwise, yeah, I'd have been like, well, see you, I mean, see you Joe. I, I have to get back. I, I mean, I didn't, I'm not like, I'm not like, I'm not like you where I unpack everything. So like everything right. was still, it would have been easy. Yeah. But like, you know, I would have, I would wanted to shower. Like I like to shower to wake myself up. Yeah. I'm glad that you do. That's, that's enjoyable for all of us that yes, people shower. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Joshua, I feel so. I'm so sorry. What it, what the what it must have been like to sit next to me on a plane. Like I'm I'm such an awkward. I mean, like you know, I'm a big I'm a big guy. I'm like a fat man. So must, and I also like I'm struggling to like for whatever reason coming going back home. Like I just couldn't fit my legs correctly in in underneath the seat. Yeah, and so I felt like there was like a whole stretch maybe over Texas where we were like legit touching our legs. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I was like not competing for leg space or anything. I was like, I'm just really awkward. I can't get comfortable. No, it's all right. It's hard to get comfortable on the yeah. plane. I also fell asleep a few times. I was like, you're also like, you're, you mean you understand because you're yeah. tall. So like, yeah. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm big horizontally. You're big vertically. <laughs> Well, I am thicker, you know, so I'm a stocky type, as they say. So I definitely know, like, the space is hard. But um, stocky is what I put on the apps. Oh. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I mean, in the in you know in back in the days, yeah, yeah. but again, I mean, no, I I was fine, especially because I passed out a few times sitting like bolt upright, like I just like fell asleep. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, he's like out of it. Yeah, yeah, because um, we got no I, sleep. I mean, literally, I think I slept four hours Thursday night, four hours Friday night, and two hours Saturday because I went to bed at. I had to go pack, so I left the after party at like one thirty one one-ish, somewhere around there, got back up, packed, did all that kind of stuff. By the time I settled down, it was 2.30, and I got up at 4.30 because I wanted to give myself an hour because we were being picked up at 5.30 just to make sure everything was there and take a shower and blah, 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 blah. And I got fully dressed, you know, so I wasn't in, like, you know, pajamas or anything like that. I was, like, dressed to, you know, so I needed time. So I got no sleep. (laughs) I don't know how people who have to, who have celebrities who like you know wake up in one city and then go to sleep in another city after like a full day of working and like literally going from thing to thing i don't know how they do it that's that's the normal for them but i guess it's i mean that's when you're a celebrity and you can say like hey have like you know room temperature avion in my bed in my dressing room (laughs) yeah because that's what helps me there's plenty of other things that yeah are keeping their lives you know simple i mean like michael again thank you so much michael if you are if you're listening or you know anybody who might be listening that that knows uh Mr. Kennedy, uh, who came out to uh, talk about the to talk about Freaky, you know, you all heard that in our last episode, the Freaky panel that we um, uh, hosted. Uh, but it was that was what he did. It was like a whirlwind. Like he flew in and did the panel, and then flew back out. Uh, and so I think I think they stayed overnight, but they were back in L.A. like really quickly. I saw him post. I was like, wow, that was fast. Yeah, which totally makes sense because, like, especially because as we as we now. Well, I mean, we did know, but like it became more apparent that like Yollywood is a thing, mm-hmm. and so those uh, that yeah. shuttle that sh- that uh, uh, direct flight. Also, it was like so nice to fly direct. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was so great, <laughs> especially from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Oh, so delightful. But yeah, overall, it was super fun. We will be, like I said, dear listener, recapping things with people over the next, uh, you know, kind of. Here and there, because we do have uh, some regularly scheduled programming to get to <laughs> for for Fright School, but uh, we are going to be inviting uh, several of the filmmakers, and um, I'd like to have Vanessa on again to talk about the aftermath and kind of how she felt about it all, because it was just super super fun hanging with her and kind of being in like with the you know with everybody that was kind of organizing and working the festival. Sure, yeah. It was nice to be in that. So, um, 
Oh, my books. I should talk about these. So there was a, yeah, there was yes. uh, these writers. Is it a trip with you if you did not return with books? I know. Yeah. And I really didn't think this would be one of those. I thought I'd come back with a bunch of movies and stuff, you know, or screeners or things, um, which I mean, we, we, we're going to reach out obviously to people because, you know, to get access to the films that we wanted to. But um, there wasn't a lot of like hard content. Like I was expecting, you know, Blu-rays and, you know, movies. Uh, but anyways, uh, they did set up some authors in the, uh, in the lobby of the theater, uh, Meg Hoftal and Kelly Florence who have written, uh, they written like a series of books. So I picked up two of them, the science of serial killers, the truth behind Ted Bundy, Lizzie Borden, Jack the Ripper, other notorious murderers of cinematic legend. And then the science of women in horror, the special effects stunts and true stories behind your favorite fright films. They've also written The Science of Monsters. Let me see. Did they have a list of other books in here? I wanted to buy all of them, but I really... Knew, I, I This was... Um, oh, they autographed them. Um, what's she write? Ghoul's Rule. I love that. Um, oh, there you go. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was hoping they had a list of all their other books because they have like four or five titles, I think. Uh, but I could, I really should have only bought one because it was quite a squeeze to like put these in. Because I, for once in my life, did not overpack. Like I think there was one T-shirt I brought that I didn't wear, and I bought a T-shirt there uh, from the from the festival. But yeah, I think I packed an all carry on dear listener and if you knew me and you knew what a high maintenance nightmare i am uh <laughs> that you i deserve like something you should have brought me a cookie joe for like how little i packed oh because <laughs> <laughs> you've traveled with me before i have know. traveled with you but you know what it's different now because you had all of your you had a big full suitcase yeah and we were were we Oh, first of all, like as we're recording this, it's like been how many years since Monster Mania? Since we did our first, I think we said it was like 2019. 2019, because we were supposed to go back in 2020, and that's yeah, when so it's that... been like three years. Yeah. Um, but on that note, right? So, like, what's different is that yeah, you you haven't you didn't pack a full suitcase for the like you know five minutes that we were there, <laughs> but we also now have separate rooms, which That's we knew true. is a thing that we must have now. Yes. And I think that worked out for the best. Oh yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was perfect. But yeah, it was just like, uh, yeah, I don't think I've traveled with so little. And now it's kind of like a challenge because now I'm like, well, although, well, bad news. I think I've talked about the, I've talked about it on the show, the Romania trip yeah. with Elvira. Yeah. So it's, been postponed obviously oh, no. uh, because of what's happening in the Ukraine which is I mean again I'm not complaining at all like you know it's awful what's happening war is terrible like you know just all around um, and with Romania taking in you know refugees and I think Belarus was is like using Moldova to like invade like on you know to help Russia it's just gonna be a, a you know it's gonna be a a very scary place over there until this, you know, whatever rich people need to be satisfied or satisfied, um, by, by this war. So until things settle, um, you know, it's just going to be, uh, 
a tough area to be in. So they, they postponed it. But I was thinking like, man, I would like to do that's and that's like, can I do like 10 days in a, in carry on? No. Could I make that happen? No. I kind of want to try. That's no, yeah. you'd like have to like, will like you have to like wash your clothes and no way. I, I, I can barely do five days in one suitcase. Yeah. Because I like to have options because you never know. Like, no, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wear all of kind of the same things anyway. So, uh, but I've been watching like, and I've talked about this, I think, before. I'm like obsessed with like these YouTube videos for like packing tips and stuff where people are like, I did a whole month in Europe in a backpack. And I'm like, what? How? And I just love watch, you know, watching those kinds of things. Yeah, but those people who do that don't have like spooky accoutrement that they need to like. I know. You know, they don't have finery. They're not. You're. They're not like you know, gothic King Tut with all of these. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't have that much stuff, but I can limit it. I can, I can. I obviously did. I actually use my little jewelry cases because I have two travel jewelry cases. I have one that's like just a little square, you know, like three or four inches by, you know, by four um, that I can put like rings and necklaces in. So I didn't even bring my full like get up. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to, I really want to try it. I just want to challenge myself, but regardless, I have no idea when we're going now. So, uh, we'll see. But, um, before the news of that, I was thinking about like, how could I actually, like, I was pretty proud of myself. Like, um, it actually worked, you know? And I think I want to try to find more like reversible jackets. Cause I think that was another secret. Cause my, the black jacket I was wearing reverse. Yeah. And so it's like, I have two jackets in one. I, I think I that, need more clothing like that. I, I think <laughs> this that is what so was, lovely for the listener. I'm what just, helped. I know we're just, this is our travel secrets. <laughs> I think what helped was that we were honest with ourselves about what the experience was going to be. Yeah. Right. Like we weren't, you know, we're not, we're not entertaining the Queen of Sheba. Like we're, we are at a film festival. We need to like everyone there was mostly also people were dressed for comfort, you know, outside of the award ceremony and things like they're dressed, they're dressed like filmmakers. They look trendy. Just in the movies all day. Exactly. Well, yeah, definitely. There was definitely, yeah, that kind of streak. So it was just, it was, it was just a whole, you know, it was just a fun time, but like, yeah, I, I have a trip coming up soon and it's only, it's like a weekend and I'm thinking like, I don't know if I can even bring like my travel suitcase, yeah. but, but it's also, we're driving. James and I are, oh, nice. are, it's a little road trip. So don't have to worry about my liquids and my creams. Joe, I only brought one pair of shoes. Yeah. I mean, that alone. I mean, <laughs> you do deserve a cookie for that because you were, I was like, you're fucking insane to bring. And you brought, and like, they weren't like, you know, sneakers either. They're like fucking Doc Martens. Yeah, my boots. <laughs> yeah. I know. I it's brought sick. the sneakers that I wore all weekend, plus these flip-flops that I'm wearing right now. Because <laughs> I, I use these when I walk around the hotel. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm a high-maintenance fucker. So, it's all I mean, right. uh, not on this trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of high-maintenance, today's film. <laughs> Lord. Um anything else to really catch up on uh i i mean i know there's tons of stuff i know there's things i've been watching and you know doing i just rewatched tiger king because i want to watch that joe versus carol yeah are you excited for it i love kate mckinnon so i just think it's going to be wonderfully weird um 
So I was rewatching Tiger King for that. I haven't watched the follow-up ones either, so I may need to watch those follow-up episodes just for fun. Um, I I finished as you did the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh yeah. Um, it's still new, so I don't want to s- talk spoilers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed the show. It was fun. I'm definitely look forward to what, how they actually wrap it all up next season. So hopefully, we don't have to wait three years or two years, whatever it was. I'm getting ready for, or I'm starting to watch the new season of Upload, which is oh, on Amazon. Yeah. And it's so, it's kind of funny that, it's kind of ironic, I should say, that this show Upload is about, like, the subtext of everything that goes on is that corporations and big tech have, like, killed, are killing, like, the world. Yeah. Are the source of all the problems. And it's, like, on fucking Amazon. Like that's the best part of all of this. Yeah, the uh, the irony of it. Yeah, they there's um in the beginning. This isn't a spoiler, but in the beginning of season two, the main one of the main characters seeks refuge from the tech from her tech world, and she goes to live with the Luddite community, um, in like the mountains, and she's like she's looking at their garden of all these like fresh fruits and vegetables, and she's like, oh my gosh, are these printed? Like, cause in in upload they like print their food from oh, okay. 3d printers um and he's like no these are these uh, we grow these seeds we grow them from heirloom seeds that were <laughs> heirloom seeds before the war like <laughs> just like before companies start patenting everything wow and i'm like this is hilarious to me because it's like are they so self-aware that they're commenting on the corporate like the show is commenting on that, but at the same time, like it's a show that who the ability to make this show are the profits from like the big Amazon corporation. Right. Yeah. Well, Bezos or whatever is not like executive producing these sorts of things. Don't they like buy no. up properties or they do, they do, but still like, I mean, it's... I mean, they have a studio, I guess, Amazon studio. Yeah. But... It, it, it's kind of like, it's the weird thing too, with like, NBC and GE, right? Like uh, GE owns NBC. So like there were jokes when, when that acquisition happened on, on SNL, I forget when that happened exactly, but there used to be jokes where they like couldn't talk disparagingly about General Electric because they're General Electric own. But I don't know, but I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately because, and I, you know, again, not to completely derail our conversation or anything, but with the whole Disney supporting like political shit in Florida and uh, the don't say yeah. gay of it all, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if like it's so fascinating because I'm just like, well, what did we, you know, like what did you expect? Like yeah. for me as somebody who understands who understands like the kind of mechanisms of making media, especially popular media. It's all, it's all because it's like, you know, meant to make money and corporate and all that stuff. But like people were really affected by it because it's like, they held it to a higher regard. And I don't consider Disney as something that gets a pass in the same way that like other things are getting a pass. Do you know, does that make sense at all? Like it's, it's not just uh, it is at the end of the day, it is a like media conglomerate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm happy if, that people are talking about it at all, but again, it's so piecemeal, you know, it's so like, um, Bible buffet kind of stuff, you know, like we pick and choose. Cause it's like, 
it's easy to like get upset about like Disney or something like that, especially if you're not necessarily a fan or, or whatever, but like to critically look at your own stuff, you know, or things that you do support. Um, like Amazon's a great uh, example of that. You know, you have people that talk about like, you know, we have to support small businesses or whatnot, but they, they still buy from Amazon. And I'm not trying to shame like, or judge. I mean, it's, you know, again, no ethical consumption under capitalism, you know, give the politics of guilty pleasure, the politics of convenience, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like I'm not everybody, you know, I, I try to think everybody's trying to do their best. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Disney thing doesn't really surprise me at all, but none of it, you know, it's, it's like the Fox news thing, like Fox and FX, like television can be like some of the most cutting edge, like, you know, they're making stuff that's really cr- criticizing and critiquing like, you know, politics at night. But then during the day, their, their news is, yeah full of garbage. So it's, it's a bizarre, bizarro world, (laughs) you know, like 1984. Uh, it's, it's all come true (laughs) and it's always like kind of been true. So there's a show right now on Fox that my dad's watching. It's called the cleaning lady. Mm. And it's about a, um, Filipino immigrant, Filipino, half Filipino, half Cambodian immigrant, um, who comes to Vegas and she's like a, a doctor, a researcher, but she comes to America to try to find a treatment for her son who has this rare disease. So she gets a night job being a cleaning lady, ends up witnessing a, a mob murder and, and somehow gets roped into being the mob doctor slash crime scene killer for the mob. Crime scene cleaner? Yeah, or oh. killer. Crime scene cleaner. Yeah. yeah. So she, she like, you know, she's there and they're going to kill her because she witnessed the murder and she's like, let me clean it for you. And she cleans it and it's spotless. And so that's the whole thing is that she's a cleaning lady and a mob doctor and a crime scene cleaner. I see. Ah. But like the whole point is that like the woman who is the, <laughs> the woman who is it is like actually a Filipina like Asian, true Asian actress. Yeah. Like at the lead of it, talking specifically, like that community, that Asian community in Vegas specifically. Like it's this whole thing that we're having that conversation about. But again, it's on Vox. <laughs> yeah. So strange. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with people to go back to the Disney thing and, you know, we can kind of end the conversation about that. It's, you know, I agree that, like, yeah, come in a few months when it's Pride Month if Disney hasn't made any like meaningful, (laughs) meaningful claims, then, you know, it's all going to be bullshit when it's like, you know, we love the gays. We love them. I'm like, no, not really. Um, But again, like it's Chapek's fault. They've moved most of the operation from California to Florida for, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. But yeah, you know, yeah, well, depression. Right. Um, well, you know, and on that note, uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and uh, kind of continue to talk about these themes uh, with the Phantom of the Paradise. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. 
We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right. Well, we are uh, returning to uh, the conversation we started uh, with uh, Studio 666, the Dave Grohl Foo Fighters film. Uh, by the you taking the next couple weeks to look at some other uh, musicians in peril <laughs> kind of uh, horror stories. Tortured artists. Tortured artists, Joe. Very nice. Uh, so. Today we are talking about Phantom of the Paradise, uh, which is a 1974 rock horror musical thing. Phantasmagoria. Fant- uh, that's great. Phantasmagoria. Uh, I, the film has like a fan convention, or did have a fan convention called Phantom Palooza, I think. And that I think is perfect. Like that's exactly what's happening here. This is a Palooza of all sorts of things. Um, directed, written and directed by, and I wish I had recorded you... Like, maybe we do when we watch movies together. Um, we just need to record the entire experience of that, even if we can't, like, use it for the show. Because the clips are great. The clips would be nice because it was like, Brian De Palma! <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, that didn't, like, deafen anybody. <laughs> that was. But that, that like, uh... you yelled it so loud. It was hilarious. <laughs> you were so shooketh. Yeah, the thought. But that like, was a I feel like I do that a lot with things, and I'm like, "Holy shit, this person!" Yeah, in it. Matt Keesler, Emily Mortimer, <laughs> um, Scream yeah. Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get no you. Scream Three. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Either way, it's just yeah, the the delightful in, in, incredulity that you have in your voice sometimes. <laughs> Hold on, you have to say, you have to say it like the Queen, like incredulity, incredulity. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, scored at, by and starring Paul Williams uh, of many hits and fames. Of John the, Williams' of, brother. Of, of the 70s. I'm kidding. No, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would be something, though. I wonder, you know, maybe, they are, maybe they're related. I don't know. I don't really know that much about him. Uh, I just know that I love me some Carpenters. So, and he, he wrote We've Only Just Begun and Rainy Days and Mondays, which is like, I just think that song is beautiful i love i love uh we've only just begun yeah both yeah yeah uh he also wrote the score and lyrics for bugsy malone uh he wrote rainbow connection for the muppet movie mm-hmm. uh evergreen for barbara streisand and her version of a star is born uh he did an album of some sort with uh daft punk uh, what else? I mean, just all kinds of things. I mean, this creepy little dude is. He's on, got credits on credits. Credits on credits on credits on credits. Uh, I love that. <laughs> no, we'll, okay. we'll talk about that. So yeah, so we've got him on on writing the music here, and uh, William Finley. So the film is about a you know a songwriter who has his life's dreams just stolen from him by this. By this uh, evil little man, Paul Williams. He's so creepy. Swan. 
so strange. Like he does, he almost doesn't look real. Like in this movie, like he looks like he's wearing a mask or something the whole time. Which I mean, I guess metaphorically speaking, uh, but he's just such a strange looking man. Uh, and the lovely Jessica Harper taking, um, you know, uh, doing her doing her singing stint before moving to Germany to do her dancing stint mm-hmm. uh, before going to the estate asylum to right. do her exactly her mental patient <laughs> stint. Uh, yeah. So so, you know, let's just dive in. Uh, Joe, what did what did you think upon first watch? <sighs> what the fuck, Joshua? What the fuck? <laughs> what um, the fuck? Uh, period. No, period. End of sentence. <laughs> I, I have no idea what it is that I, I, I... There's something to be said about having a clear narrative. I felt like when, as I felt like watching Phantom of the Paradise was like watching Tommy for the first time. Oh. When we watched Tommy together. Yeah. And I had no idea what was going on then. I still don't have any idea what was going on now. I mean, I don't even know if it was horror. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. It's 93 minutes of my life that I will never get back. Um, oh, you're definitely going to spend another 93 minutes watching this again in the future. I know it. It's going to creep up on, into you. I I don't know. Like, I don't I need know. to watch it again. I, it's just so like it was like it was like Tommy. It was like watching. It was like the we <laughs> the all the songs had the same feeling of all the songs in like The Wicker Man. Mm, okay, where they just feel so out of place and i know like it's a musical like i know that this is a thing that we're supposed to um we're supposed to believe that like they're just singing out of nowhere but it it just felt so strange and i don't and it's one of those things where i'm like wow i am not cool enough to like this film (laughs) and that's it's like because like i wanted to like it i I think that there were a lot of things that were done really well. The The version that we found on Amazon has like, it was like in high def. So it just looked really crisp. Um, but you know, I just don't think I'm cool enough. I, I know for sure. It's not the movie. I know it's me. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, cool it's enough. a bizarre film. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's, I'm going to disagree with the music being out of place on because I don't, this almost really isn't a musical. Like it's because the, the songs are being performed in context of being performed. They're like, what is that? Diad. Though the diegetic. Yeah. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're not bursting the, out. Yeah. Like he and Swan aren't singing at each other in these like fight scenes, yeah. you know, it's not the confrontation from Les Mis where they're, it, yeah. no. Yeah, exactly. Like this, like the it's, and, and which I like, that's my favorite kind of musical is like, I like musical films about like music, like what's love got to do with it. Like that's a musical film, but the, the it's not a musical kind of like, um, that thing you do. Oh yeah. yeah I, it's a musical yeah. It's a musical film, but it's not a musical because everything yeah. that you're just watching a band perform. Exactly. And that's kind of the same with this. It's people are performing in the context of being performers and musicians. So I actually really appreciate that about this, that it isn't, um, you know, like an opera like Phantom of the Opera. Uh, I do think it has a lot going on if they need it, like if they were going to adapt this to like Broadway or something, which I think would be super awesome. 
it would need a rework because it is like complicated. There's like a lot going on. I mean, just look at the references it's making because it's like we got the Faust thing not only being the subject of the music that um, Winslow. Uh, Winslow is writing, but there's also like Faustian deals actually being made uh, with Swan and then later, you know, well, with Winslow, but then we later find out Swan has also made a deal, you know, to stay young and whatever. Weird. Um, <laughs> my weirdness will last forever. Um, but it's got like Psycho. There's like a reference to Psycho. There's a whole, like the, the staging of the show is like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari or the Gollum even, like with the twisted, like German expressionism. Well, when Beast is, or when Beef, Beef. is, um, revealed it's like out of that cabinet in the same way that the cabinet of dr caligari right but then he's like frankenstein they've like made him from like the parts of the fake audience members they're murdering and it's you know and then of course like beyond that it's like based on the phantom of the opera like gaston larue or is that gaston larue yeah gaston larue's novel uh we have the oscar wilde references like with the picture of dorian gray uh, you know, and then of course the overarching Faustian Faustness of it all, <laughs> Mephis, uh, the Faustian deal of it, Mephistopheles. No, it's Mes- Mephistolenes. No, Mephis- Mephistopheles. Is it? I thought it was a different name. That was Mephis. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, Mepha- Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. What am I thinking of, Miss Mephistolenes? That's um, what am I thinking? Are you thinking of uh, Mistopheles? <laughs> Mr. I'm thinking of Mr. Mistopheles. I was going to say from the cats. <laughs> um, okay, no, I'm I'm crossing something. Whatever. Um, yeah, so there's just like a lot happening in it. Uh, that's I. Th- that's kind of speaking to your point that there's like a lot going on to try to follow. And that does kind of make it like uh, Tommy. Also, like The Wall, which came, you know, a couple of years later in 1982. Haven't seen it. I, I was wondering, I was going to ask you if you'd seen The Wall when we were out there, but I thought that I showed it during one of the... So we're definitely going to have to do that soon. Cause, yeah, uh, but am I going to have to be on acid? No. <laughs> no. Uh, although we will have to line up, like, a fun movie afterwards. The Wall is very... Uh, complicated <laughs> so i think a nice fun you know maybe hairspray or something for after something yes. bright and happy cheerful you know about the civil rights movement right yes exactly <laughs> something cheerful about racism right <laughs> um she ran away with those you know with those negroes um that's a line from the movie i'm not just saying yeah no i've seen um, hairspray they don't know that. They don't. Right. Know, I mean, I, I, me, like yeah. listener. If you didn't know that, I have not seen hairspray. On that, they're showing hairspray, the original, nineteen eighty-eight, yes. uh, here uh, in town for Film Out, who film we've out. done uh, stuff with in the past. We love Film Out. That is not helpful to anybody not in San Diego, yeah. unless you want to fly in to see hairspray on a <laughs> in a theater with you know divines in it. I want to go, but I think I have class. Boo. 
Anyway, back to the horror. Back to uh, <laughs> this. Uh, to no one's surprise, it was a box office bomb. Uh, probably people were like, "What is happening?" But like I said earlier, it has a it has a massive cult following. Um, I think we've got several friends that love this film. Uh, love the music of it, uh, which I didn't think was bad. Like given the context of the time, like I thought several of the songs were really fun. Uh, so I enjoyed like that vibe of it all. It's very, it's very seventies, mm-hmm. you know, in that way. Uh, I was like wondering when meatloaf was going to wander on and sing like paradise by the dashboard light or, <laughs> well, the first song is about a man named Eddie committing, like killing himself. Like, or dying. Right. Um, I do love, like, a rockabilly kind of aesthetic as well. So yeah, yeah. You're talking about the uh, the Juicy Fruits. Yes, that's the name of our band. Yeah, We're yeah. going to be the Juicy Fruits. Juicy Fruits. Only we're going to have to spell it differently, like, with two E's instead of a Y. Well, I was thinking we'll spell it like, like Marina Fruit. Oh. Like, <laughs> it'd be the... Or, you know what, we could convert to Judaism, and then we could be J-E-W-S-E-A-F-R-O-O-T. Jeffrey would be for that. He would love that. (laughs) The juicy fruits. The juicy fruits. It's three words. Juicy and then fruit. (laughs) We we are so canceled. Um, Anyways, the point is... (laughs) <laughs> what is the point you were saying? Oh, the music. We were just talking about yes, like the music, the, the, like the rockabilly kind of thing. And I, that's why I think this would work really well, like t- to be adapted to the stage. Cause you like have those guys, they're almost like, you know, crystal Ronette and chiffon from mm-hmm. little shop. You know, they're kind of playing all of these different roles throughout the film. <laughs> I wanted them to be like, you know, so when you, <laughs> it's just like, you know, three yeah. guys. Yeah. They could just like, narrate the whole thing you know or whatever they're a little uh, greek chorus yeah I, th- I feel like they kind of they're operating sort of in that way by being in all these different mm-hmm. iterations um so i mean obviously the film is I, I don't think there's like a ton of subtext to this you know like paul williams is a musician you know he's a writer he's working in this field uh it's notoriously a nightmare so it's like this really reflects a lot of like anxieties and like revenge fantasies i feel of people in the music industry can can we talk about i don't know if you're going to talk about i might be fast forwarding if but can we please talk about how when we see paul williams as swan his first words are like you know beat it fag or something with oh. <laughs> you know like something with the word fag like this movie while very queer is also very homophobic oh well yeah of course yeah yeah um i was definitely going to take us there because i did want to okay. talk about beef and the and the character of him and the characterization uh so maybe we'll put a pin in that for a second yes i don't um, i i don't want to over you know. no 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 i do want to uh get you are the maestro uh, no <laughs> it's um <laughs> yeah you're like uh that woman in the in the q a who like asked like what are you working on it's like girl we will get there now is not the time <laughs> but i didn't tell the audience i had a plan so <laughs> they didn't know but um she's very sweet i'm just like teasing but so with um so let me ask you this, right? So as a musician of the two of us that is like would identify as a musician, how 
like are you working on your masterwork like <laughs> what is your what is your faust cantata joshua uh, yeah, i don't yeah that it's such a strange thing because he's he's like a composer like it's a very different i feel you know he's like writing these sonatas and things that he's dreaming of something you know very like different from like what I would do, you know, like the kind of songs I write. Uh, although, I mean, it's always out there. Like, I do dream of putting together a really good concept record. I, I, I like that idea. I would love to do, you know, something, you know, that tells a story. Mm-hmm. And I have ideas for that, but it's, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's something I'm like obsessively writing. And but I certainly wouldn't want to like just hand it over to somebody either. It, you know, like what happens here with mm-hmm. it getting stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, uh, not like that. Not in that, not in that sense. (laughs) But anyway, so I just think that like, that's really on display. Like the, the music industry is, I mean, it's just trash. I think for creatives, you know, it's, it's like where it goes to die. You know, there's, this film is very cynical and this is, you know, 74 and who knows when he was actually writing it and working on it before then. And then bringing, you know, somebody who had been very successful in the music industry kind of into it, uh, which I assume, yeah, by then he was already Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. Um, like he was invited, you know, to write the songs for it. Um, I just it adds like a nice like it's there's a there's like a there's an honesty to the film of like what it's like to be a songwriter and because uh, and I know people who have gotten to write songs and put things out there and it's you know they're not rich they're not the ones that are even though it's their work it goes out there you know the record contracts are you know, terrible, especially back then, um, you know, not that they're any better now, but I think people have a little bit more awareness to ask for certain things than they did then. Cause it's sort of like, you know, you want to be a star, like this is what you got to do. And, uh, you, so you do, it is a Faustian deal and we have seen, um, people who are, tr- I mean, look at like Kesha's situation. Like it's that, that is a nightmare. Like I cannot imagine, uh, Tori Amos wrote in her book about like, you know, she really wanted out of her record contract and they were just like, fuck you. Like we'll shelve you to your third in your thirties and nobody wants you. I mean, that's like what she said in her book was, that was like what they told her. Like they could just, you know, destroy her. Um, Cindy Lauper wrote about that in her memoir. Um, I mean, these are all women. So there's also, (laughs) there's also a whole, you know, stretch of like with, you know, misogyny and and the sexism of the industry um, and, and them talking about their experience. But I think it's true for a lot of like creative types, especially if you're like, this guy doesn't seem to want to be on stage. He's written it for somebody to perform. He's like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, well, again, very Phantom of the Opera. Like I've written this piece. It is for her voice only. And I will kill everybody else, you know, to make sure she's the one who does it. Uh, so he's, it's even like easier for somebody like him to be taken advantage of. Yeah. You know? And so there's a lot of that kind of anxiety here for, I think, you know, creative types who've probably, you know, seen. Yeah. It's, it's that thing that we see not just not just in horror but in like film and media in general where it's your naivete is being taken advantage of right and because you weren't savvy enough or didn't have you know people around you to help guide you in a particular way you get taken advantage of and then you literally become a villain 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It's very. It's very sad. You know. And that. And 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 knowing that this is true for people. And you think about like. I mean, there's so many great musicians, writers whose work is like very famous and people know it, but they have no idea who actually wrote it. They have no idea the stories that those people uh, have lived like their lives. Uh, You know, so there is like a, I don't know, there's something really palpable about this movie that is deeper than like the theatrics of it all. You know, just this cynical kind of look at like an industry that like uses up talent and creativity and then tosses it aside as soon as it's, you know, not deemed valuable anymore. And like, and that's literally and figuratively on display in this movie, like particularly with Swan and the way he's using different people across time uh, to, you know, get his own, ends met uh just eating up people i mean he wants to even kill like phoenix like just because (laughs) it's like she's got this promising talent so it so okay so i didn't imagine that it's not clear why they (laughs) why he wanted to kill phoenix he just like signed her contract and then that was it like yeah it's almost like just a torture because it's like the whole thing of like when they're in bed together and he knows that he's being watched it's like he's just torturing this guy for like no, he's just fucking evil, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, on top of it, not only have I, have I taken her, I'm going to marry her, but I'm also going to have her killed just to like spite you. And you can't do anything about it. Yeah. And again, that's very Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> that's very, I mean, this guy Swan exists, mm-hmm. you know, he's not actually exists. You know, uh, you also think of like the insanity of like Phil Spector, who I feel he's also kind of uh, influenced by, uh, the performance of, of this, um, you know, I mean, people knew Phil Spector was, you know, something, <laughs> uh, going back, you know, so I just like, there's a lot of, a lot of truth again in, in all of this, like insanity being performed. Uh, I also like, there's kind of also that conversation of like, like the, the, the cynicism of like the lyrics don't matter. It doesn't really matter what the song is about. It just has to be a good song. And we have that sequence where all these different people are trying the song out and he's like testing it, all of these different sounds just to see which fits. Most visually, uh, besides the ending, most visually interesting and my favorite kind of like scene in the film. Yeah. I do like that about Brian De Palma. There's a few nice split screen, like with the bomb and the whole thing, like during their, um, the beat, you know, when the, when the juicy fruits decide to be the beach boys or whatever, they're doing like the surf thing. And you know, there, there are some nice moments of this film that like Brian De Palma has used, mm-hmm. uh, like in Carrie, uh, Oh, which again, trivia, Sissy Spacek worked as a set dresser on this. Um, I think her husband at the time, and maybe still, I don't know. Um, I haven't read her memoir yet. <laughs> but uh, had her come on and work on the on the film. And then, of course, she got cast in Carrie, you know, just a few years later. Um, but anyway, so, so just like, and I think about that now. It's like, uh, well, Sylvanesso, uh, that band that I like, you know, they have a song called Radio that's like, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds. And it's like a very cynical it's like a satire of that, of like, you know, a song has to be like three minutes long. It has to be like in the key of C or G. Like it has to be very rote, very, you know, and everything sounds the same. It's like, I can't differentiate 
any popular music anymore. Slave to the radio, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, slave to the radio, slave to, you know, like these record people that are not creatives, that don't make art. They just come up. 3.3, oh, slave. Oh, see, I like that song, but... You never listened to the lyrics, did you? (laughs) Proving the point of the film. Show... A show over. Yes. <laughs> well, I, this is one thing that well, I one appreciate. Of the points of the film. One thing that I appreciate about you, because like I was just telling someone actually, I was just telling some of James's friends last night that I was like, "Hey, my friend Joshua, if I if I show people cool music, it is probably because Joshua showed me that cool music. Like, there's a whole we have a whole podcast we could do just on like Joshua showing me <laughs> cool music. Um, and I was thinking about it. And one thing I appreciate that you do on like a social media thing that you do is you, <laughs> you will put the lyrics up of a song and then it's like, ah, interesting. Like I, I don't listen to music for lyrics in that way. Uh-huh. I listen to music for like tone and the actual sound of it as opposed yeah. to what the lyrics are saying. Well, I mean, it's just a function of like, you know, you're a songwriter. You're, yeah, yeah. One, you know, exactly. So I have a major appreciation for the form of like fitting words to a groove, you know, fitting them to. And so I'm always amazed by like the things that people write. I so I like to read. So, you know, I mean, again, it's like it all fits back. It's not mm-hmm. accidental that I find lyrics to be extremely important. Um, and I a good song could easily be ruined by bad lyrics, even if it's great music that's like super fun and, you know, whatever. But I could be like, wow, this uh, this is trash, you know, or this song. I don't understand why they wrote this. Mm-hmm. You could have chosen. There are billions of, you know, options <laughs> for words, you know, and things that you want to put into a song. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I just, I also really appreciated that. And that's something that is still speaking today. And uh, I, I just think that this, it stays pretty relevant as long as things can <laughs> continue to to kind of, you know, be in this situation. Like I said earlier, I do think it's a little better because people are aware of how one-sided a lot of those contracts have been. And so, you know, artists are getting smarter about getting, you know, entertainment lawyers, you know, attorneys to like really work with them on contracts. But I'm sure it still happens. I'm sure there are people out there that, you know, get bad ends of the deal. Um, I mean, you would think that, again, like you would, you hear the horror stories of like the artists of Motown and right. Yeah. Like Aretha Franklin's whole reason why she carries a bag filled with money. <laughs> right. Yeah. You would think that like that's something that people would, you know, maybe read the contract right <laughs> before or, or not even just that. Like you said, get an entertainment lawyer, know that because and when you're someone famous when you are a talent that is un, like, you know, undisputed, unequivocal talent of something. Like people are going to want things from you, and so and exploit that, like right. for whatever gain, whether it's monetarily, whether it's for reputation. Like we're seeing that right now with Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift basically to can take control of her masters again has re-recorded pretty right. much her entire catalog. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's arguably like a, at least over the last few years has been like a, a huge dominating like musical presence and so she's still like her control like is still yeah not really in her hands i just didn't like i think it was the first time that this kind of came the idea of ownership of creative property came into my mind at all was when um was like a few years ago when it was discovered that the beatles uh 
that like Michael Jackson owned the Beatles catalog or something. This is when Jackson was still alive. And I was thinking like, why wouldn't you own your own stuff? If you, yeah. especially like, especially if you wrote it, like if you wrote your own music, you wrote your own lyrics. Like, I think that the very, the fact that there are people who don't do that or for whatever reason they gave those rights up kind of baffles my mind because like, I would want to own something that I made. Yeah. I, I no, I know it's super you know. tricky. Yeah. No, I know. Cause there's like the publishing rights, there's royalties, there's like the credits, you know, there's so many ways that it gets piecemealed out and, 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 you know, messed with mm-hmm. about how you make money off of it. And again, I'm not saying that like, obviously there are songwriters out there that are, are very wealthy and are doing really well. Like I think like, Justin Tranter, Sia, you know, that's Sia's like major work was writing for other Ryan people. Ryan Tedder of One Republic. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, obviously some people have great deals and like do stuff, but I do think of, a, especially under older contracts, what are they called? Jared Leto's band. Uh, 30 Seconds of Mars. Yeah. I'm not a fan of them. Like just not for any other reason than I haven't really heard. I've never sat down and tried to listen to any of their music, but I did watch their documentary artifact and it was, it did such a good job explaining how they got so fucked by their record company and how they like owed so much money to them because the record company like pays for like, that's really it. It's like, Hey, we, you know, we could put you touring around the world, making music your life on our dime. And then you're like going to owe it back to us. Plus all this other like stuff, you know, like again, to reference Tori's book, you know, she got charged for flowers that the record company sent her for like the opening night of like a tour. And it's like, (laughs) what? Fuck you. Like you can't even buy, like buy me flowers. Like you're, you're going to charge me for that. Um, that's why the uh, um, somebody asked Melissa about uh, Melissa Etheridge about this in a oh we know which Melissa I know, I know. <laughs> sorry but um, in a Q and A about like if she did a bunch of stuff on her writer and she's like you have to pay for all that she's like I don't understand why people do that like paint the dressing rooms this color and do this and do that like you have to pay for all of that like that comes out of your you know your pay in the end um, that's you know. I don't know why people think that's like such a great thing to do because you're paying for all of that. I mean, I guess if it's val- if it's worth it to you to like have people go through all of these things, like I get the whole writer thing of like, you know, oh, the electrics failed or something and injured somebody. So now we do that to make sure that's like the blue M&M thing or whatever it was. You know what I'm talking about? It, it's kind of like why writers are insane is sometimes to make sure that they've been read. Because there was like some band, some big band who I don't know because they were men, (laughs) had somebody I think died because of like instructions weren't followed or somebody was injured or something like that. And so now it's like a joke to put those kinds of things in. It's not only because, you know, rock stars are crazy. They are. But also to ensure that the writer has been read. So if you come in and something is missing that seems a little weird, it's like, well, clearly, did you read it? Like what we asked for. You got my blue M and M's, but like, did you make sure to follow the safety protocol for the harness? Right, and I think or? it's it's trusting that it was followed. You know, if they if they do something, if they if they have a weird ask, um, you know, fifty yellow teddy bears, for instance. Yeah, <laughs> so come talk, on, Midge. <laughs> back to Mrs. Maisel. Um, can I ask what your weird ask is? Like, if if you didn't have to pay for it, what would your like writer? <laughs> well, again, I'd ha- I have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, you know, because I'm not really that kind of person. Like, as high maintenance as I am, it's for me. Like, I would be really embarrassed to, like, and I've been asked before, like, we've played shows where it's like, hey, there's going to be a green room, you know, is there anything, like, you want, like, we can throw in the back or whatever, and it's like, no, I'll bring my own snacks, like, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's uncomfortable, like, to, you know to ask people to like do specific things. Cause I feel like people's jobs are really hard already, like in entertainment, like when you're trying to run a show, like it's already enough, <laughs> you know, but again, I, this isn't at some level. Okay. Cut the deferential bullshit. Like if you were, <laughs> if you were like, like what would it be? Like, uh, like some people, cause okay. As someone who worked at a hotel, okay. who was like at a concierge at a hotel, yeah. people ask for some really weird shit. In in their and they're not like famous people. They're just people. Right. <laughs> they're just like, well, I need this. Um, I need like you know. I've done everything from, um, when I was a concierge, I was a concierge at a resort. Um, when our most common thing that we would get, if, especially if it was like a romantic getaway, was to like you know spread rose petals in the room. So like for me, it's like I'm gonna spread these rose petals that are soon gonna have come on them. Like <laughs> you know this right or the weirdest thing I think with the rose petals was um, they wanted rose petals on the bed and then leading from the bed to the bathroom and they wanted to have the bath drawn already like before they got there. That's nice, but I wouldn't like that because like I like my bath at a certain temperature. I want it to be hot, you know so it, I might be like, well, that's cold water. I'm not getting in there. Uh, I don't know. I really like cinnamon bears, so maybe I would, uh, you know, go out and find me some of the like the cinnamon bears because they seem they're hard to find. Like I can't just buy them a, anywhere. Is that a type of gay man? Like, no, it's it? candy. Okay, <laughs> it's a candy. I will tell you that if I was famous and had that kind of access, I would want like private tours of like zoos and stuff oh you but know? not as a writer just like in general yeah just in general like if i was in a city and like i found out they had a local zoo with like a bad house like i want i would want time just me like i'd want to be able to go in and yeah, like, pet the also, bats or do things you would like be that. like the kind of person who would like write a check to like get a bat like <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think they should be kept as pets I, I really don't. Okay. I, you know, I... Um, on the record. On the record. I don't <laughs> think they should be kept as pets. I wouldn't mind having a bat house where bats were free to come and go. Oh, like a hotel. <laughs> yes, a hotel no, for No, but that, isn't that what they call it? It's like a, a roost, right? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I just... Roost. The bat houses you can buy is what they call them. But yeah, a roost or whatever. Um, I certainly oh, wouldn't mind having and, on the and property. I saw something where it's like the, they're protected, right? Because bats yeah. are not endangered but like there's something about it where it's like it's an animal habitat and therefore it's protected oh yeah yeah you can build one yeah. uh you don't need to like i think yeah hoa stuff you can get around that by like it's you know for a for a species you know whatever environmental uh, assistance so stuff like that probably and not necessarily like go out and find this weird tea that I like to have and a specific brand of honey, you know, from bees that only, you know, did this or that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not that kind of person. Um, but I would like access to things like that. That reminds me, because I was watching The Tiger King, and like, is it Shaq? Shaquille O'Neal? I think. The, the basketball player? I think. Okay. I think it was him is like there, like petting tigers and stuff. And he's obviously like paying for the experience of that. And that's the kind of thing, like, I think would be really cool to get to do. Like, the those sorts of stories that I hear from people I know or have met or have read their books that get to do cool shit. It's things like that. 
I'd want those experiences and not having to deal with all the other people, like having to wait in line. For the, like, oh, I, I you're just, the, you know, have you seen the, like the VIP hosts at Disneyland that wear like the really, no, I've only been to Disneyland one time, but like, it's kind of like that where it's yeah, like, they yeah. have the, they hire like these hosts who wear this like really yeah. kind of antiquated garb and they take them through like the back way to get them at the front of the line. Yeah. That's what I want. That's the kind of experiences or just like, when is the park closed and I can come by myself? <laughs> and the park is op- open, totally open. <laughs> we are so, this is, oh man, have we even spent 10 minutes talking about the Phantom of the Paradise? Um, Did the Phantom of the Paradise spend 10 minutes talking about the Phantom <laughs> of the Paradise? <laughs> okay, so let's talk about beef then a little bit because, okay, here's the thing about glam rock that's always boggled my mind because I grew up in Ohio around a lot of really homophobic people who fucking loved like Twisted Sister mm-hmm. and Kiss, you know, men in makeup and heels and like leotards and shit, you know, just like looking like drag queens, not great drag queens, not Maddie Morphosis level of bad drag queen. <laughs> they're, they're looking like drag queens, the house down boots. Sorry, I think I said that wrong because I think that Maddie looks better than them, but... It you know what I mean. I took it shady because <laughs> I also haven't watched the series, the, yeah, the yeah. new season yet. But anyways, my point is, is that it fascinates me that you have like this brand of like glam rock and roll that's like super androgynous, or you know, there's lots of make it. There's lots of like stuff involved that like straight men just fucking love. While at the same time, if that guy was just walking down the street dressed that way. That might attack him, or you know, especially given this time period. You know, I obviously like this kind of glam rock doesn't even really exist on a huge level anymore. I mean, I know those guys like still tour and stuff, but they don't look obviously the way they did in the eighties and the seventies. I think that you know, I, I think that things changed a little bit uh, post uh, post HIV, post gay culture, mm. like the mainstreaming of gay culture, right? And even those guys, you know, they're, they're, I, I used to watch, oh God, I used to watch Gene Simmons' Family Jewels. I might have talked about this on the on the yeah. show. And I like, I don't know Kiss from Adam, right? So I don't know anything other than the fact that like, here's Gene Simmons a Kiss, his like, you know, girlfriend that he has two adult kids with that he's never married and never wants to marry. And it's just so fascinating because I'm like, yeah, he goes out and he puts his paint on and then, you know, he does all these things. But no one questions his, you know, masculinity. Yeah. But in this film, you have Beef that, like, Beef is reading so fae, so yeah. femme, so yeah. Yeah. sissy. Right. Because um, his voice, yeah. the, the, the affectation with his voice, the way he is acting in the film, you know, but he's obviously like flirt. Like I, I think he, you know, smacks one of the, like the dancers or whatever on the ass. He talks about, you know, women, but it's, it is kind of like it blurs the edge. Yeah. Um, so from David Buckingham um, performing sexuality, 
quote, on one level, glam rock would seem to present a fundamental challenge, indeed an outrageous affront to traditional notions of masculinity and indeed to heterosexuality itself. It might be seen as a popular celebration of a newly emerging gay identity or at least a manifestation of a form of bisexuality or sexual fluidity that went well beyond the predominant heterosexuality of the hippies. However, uh, we need to be aware of making easy claims here, obviously, you know, so again, this is like... um, uh, to celebrate, so my point here is that it would be a mistake to celebrate glam rock as some kind of popular cultural equivalent of gay liberation. No glam performers were openly gay, and only David Bowie claimed to be bisexual. Androgyny in appearance is not necessarily an indicator of sexual ambiguity or indeed of any inherent truth about sexuality. In any case, we might well want to question the kind of liberation that is offered by men dressing up in a kind of ridiculous, excessive parody of traditional femininity, which that could also be said of drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, one of uh, like sort of more radical um, feminist uh, theory does kind of posit that drag is harmful to women, but that's another show, another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's I, on turf time, right? <laughs> on turf time. Uh, I don't know if that, I, I don't know. See, that's why we can't talk about it. Cause I don't have enough, yeah, you know, conversation. I know that the critique is out there, um, and again, that might—that's one of those things where. No, sorry, we cannot get into. We can't get into this um, into talking about turf, turfs, and drag, and feminism and drag. Uh, my point is, is that like his character, I I don't know how to like engage in the conversation about him. You know, like I mean, you brought him up earlier, so like, what were you what were you thinking about? Brian De Palma also did um, that Al Pacino movie about the gay serial killer, right? That was also Brian De Palma. Oh, um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, are you the S and M Club cruising? Yeah, is that Brian De Palma? I, I maybe somewhere someone's yelling at us in their car, or I mean, he might have. But he did Carrie. Carrie's very gets a queer reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you were asking me earlier. You were wondering if he was uh, if he was queer, but it looks like he no. I mean, at least not not in performance. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um. What What year did that movie come out? That you're talking about? I no. just think it's really interesting that like I don't think that was him. You don't. It's not on his list. Okay. I. I just think it's really interesting that like that's where we're going with that with. Uh, like what was the point of that, other than no? That was William Friedkin, for the Friedkin who directed okay. um, The Exorcist. Okay. I, I didn't. It, it was so complicated, and it's like I get it. It's the seventies. You know, it's that conversation that we have often when you look back at old films. Um, it's like, are we giving it a pass on like, no, it's still homophobic, but you know, it's also a product of its time. It's homophobic without like, it's a difference between like someone writing now about like characters that are homophobic because that's who the character is. It's, it's like at the time they're writing it and it's like about like the contemporary for all intents and purposes, the contemporary time. So, I mean, I also just was like, I was just exhausted by the character because I'm like, are you trying to be really butch? Are you trying to be, it was like, I'm trying to be really femme, really swish, really lispy. And then at the same time, 
in the same sentence, like switches over to like overly masculine. Right. There's a lot of gay gasping. There was that weird thing where he's like wearing a belt of like antlers and it presses up against, like they show it pressing up against like the belly of, um, one of the swan henchmen who is the priest in the end. And then like, and that's like him advancing on him. And then like when he, when the henchman is like, um, you know, kind of giving him attitude back he like pulls away like it was just an interesting shot i'm like yeah. what are we trying to say here is this him trying to like put advances towards him or what like yeah i, I wish it was more explicit well exactly and because they don't clarify like i mean he's not he doesn't say he's gay or mm-hmm. queer or anything like that so we're just kind of left to in a film that's already kind of made some comments about queer people mm-hmm. about gender uh, he just stands out as yeah a strange sort of character um, in you know in the film, and then of course he's killed, uh, which again it's like well if he is gay then we have another like you know the kill your gay sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Although again he was warned not to perform, he should have left, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, uh, just like those gays not to listen. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, you know it's like uh, but yeah. So I I don't know I, the whole time I was watching him, all I was thinking about was like growing up with like surrounded by that kind of glam rock stuff. Cause that's what, um, my brother's sister's father listened to a lot of mm-hmm. that kind of like twisted sister, sister stands out Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those guys, they had like garish, like pink, you know, blush and blue eyeshadow and saying mm-hmm. D Snyder, the way he looked, you know, it was just, it was such a strange thing to be like, you know, cause I remember getting eyeliner and like, when I was young and, and like putting it on and everybody lost their minds. Like everybody freaked out. And I'm just like, look at the fucking posters on the wall. Like, I mean, there are all these men, you know, in makeup and stuff. Why is everybody freaking out? It was such a confusing thing, mm-hmm. you know, to, to some degree. So that's kind of what I was sitting thinking about with his character. I didn't particularly read him as queer. Like, or at least I wasn't thinking this is a gay character. I was like, I'm not sure what's going on here. And mm-hmm. they do, you're right. There's a lot of the swishy, like, face stuff. But it's just, it's both. So, I don't know. Maybe he's, you know, he's ambisexual. Whatever works. He jerks people off with both hands? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I think this is uh, is kind of primed for being a stage show. I'm surprised it hasn't been adapted. It looks like a concert version has been put on of it, mm-hmm. but I think a full on Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, musical. you could easily remake this. I I, I oh, think yeah. I spent the whole movie telling That's you true. how we do this. How you would how you yeah. would remake it? We make it a <laughs> DJ. Like <laughs> the Paradise is like a venue. Yeah, we make it a DJ. Who well, is the Paradise like, is a venue. But, like, it's a venue where, like, a big club. <laughs> okay. You know, like, one of those things where it's, like, yeah. it focuses on who's behind the booth. Right. I see, I see. You stole my, my sick beats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we just got to figure out who's going to play who. Right. I'm not cast. I'm not dream casting a remake of this film with you. I want to see it on Broadway. I want to go to New York, see Phantom of the Paradise at the Winter Garden theater or whatever it is that's the only one that came to mind because beetlejuice was there 
<laughs> at the American Airlines Theater. Right. Oh, well, yeah, how it's all going to be in the future. The McDonald's Theater. Well, no, there's actually an American Is Airlines there? Theater. Sad. That's depressing. I'm going to see it at the... Uh, do you watch any South Park? No. Okay. They've been doing that with, like, everything is... Like, it's in the future and everything is, like, you know... McDonald's, Uber, Premium Plus, Plus. Like, you know, it's all, like, coming together, you know? Like, all the... Like just all the names. I, it's hard to like explain without you. If you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, but like you know, welcome to the Microsoft Galaxy and the McDonald's Milky. And, you know, the Milky Way brought to you by McDonald's, <laughs> sponsored by McDonald's. It's brave of you to stop a dance off sponsored by Pennzoil. <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, Will and Grace. Janet Jackson. It's like right. It's brave of you to stop. It's brave of you to stop a dance off sponsored by Pennzoil. Yeah, <laughs> shit. It's so good. That's the world. Anyways. We've devolved. All right. Let's. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. I hadn't seen this movie since I was probably seventeen or eighteen. I was definitely stoned the first time. I. Enjoyed rewatching it with you today, just for all the yeah, gasping and the what. Watching you watch it was also fun because you were like, "Wow, it's been a lot." <laughs> yeah, there were just things where I'm like, "Oh, that's right." I feel like you were having a regression. Like <laughs> you were just like, "I am back high at seventeen again." Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was quite a thing. So, but I'm glad again that we did it together. So, thank you, dear listener. Uh, for listening as always and we will be back uh next week with another fun uh musical horror film of some sort <laughs> rock on fright school is produced by joshua napier and joe farron our intro was edited by davy boy productions our logo was designed by jamie channel guzman episodes are edited and engineered by joe farron Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 